In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our reading is the Gospel reading from Matthew 25, which I've already read. Last week, we noted a change in the tone of the church's year of grace as we approached the end. Jesus told us what to expect in the judgment, separating the sheep from the goats and reminding us that the kingdom, that the faithful go to inherit, that Jesus, at his return, that he has won for us by the shedding of his blood, that at his return, that kingdom awaits for us. There is, therefore, as St. Paul says, no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. But today, Jesus wants to alert us to the fact that his return could happen at any moment as we look now to the circumstances of his return. In order to help us fully understand this parable, let's listen to what Jesus himself says about it. He says, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch, look out, you don't know when Christ will return. Our epistle reading speaks this way too, describing Christ's return as like a thief coming in the night. St. Paul goes on to say, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Just a few verses before our gospel reading picked up at the beginning of Matthew 25, back at the end of Matthew 24, Jesus compares his coming to that of the days of Noah and the flood. This is what he says. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. In short, when Christ comes and the end comes with him, that's it. It will come like lightning flashing from the east as the west, and there will be no time to prepare for that day when that moment comes. Jesus' parable, then, is a pretty clear warning that we should be alert and ready for his coming. Warnings, of course, mean that there's a danger to watch out for. Like when somebody posts a beware of dog sign. You don't do that because the dog loves strangers and is very friendly. People are supposed to watch out for that dog. In this case, Jesus is warning us about the dangers that we face in this life. After all, who are the main characters in the parable? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. In the scriptures, virginity is more than just a picture of purity, but it is also a picture of the church herself. There are ten Christians here, but five are wise and five are foolish. Five are not watching, but five are. But where is the danger coming from? Well, it's not coming from God, as our epistle reading says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. 
So if it's not coming from God, what is this danger that we should be looking out for? Well, there are three things that I'd like to explore today. First, we ought to watch out for our own sinful flesh. On its own, we know that its desires are against the desires of God. St. Paul reminds us of how evident the works of the flesh are in several of his epistles, but just sifting through those lists that he gives, just think about a few of them. Sexual immorality, strife, jealousy. Can we not see these things in ourselves and even then encouraged, egged on by the world around us? You can't turn on the television without seeing some sort of immorality depicted and celebrated there. We can no longer respectfully disagree with those who are holding different opinions than us. And so we are constantly fighting with those who are of a different tribe than we are. The current fascination among our society's elites that's really filtered down into our schools, the current fascination on the part of some when it comes to intersectionality and critical race theory actually encourages those divisions among us because it divides us up so that we can see who is the most oppressed and who is the oppressor. In truth, this is nothing more than jealousy, which is covetousness, or as St. Paul says in another place, it is idolatry. On a more personal level, we, like St. Paul before us, struggle. We don't do the good that we know that we should, and the evil that we know that we shouldn't do, that's what we keep on doing. Now, after we watch out for our flesh, we also must watch out for the world around us. I've mentioned the false doctrines of intersectionality and critical race theory, but so much of the world's agenda is arrayed against us. It is out to destroy our Christian faith. How many times have I mentioned various lobbies from this pulpit? Well, earlier this year, the gay men's choruses from San Francisco and Boston recorded songs and released them on the internet. You can still watch them on YouTube if you so desire about how they're coming to convert our children. And they even then claim that our children are not our own. The amazing thing about that kind of bold statement that's just out there is that they wouldn't be this brazen if they didn't think that they had already won the war against the church. Jesus warns us that one of the world's greatest weapons is that, hate, is that hatred that Christians feel towards us because of our faith. I don't know about you, but I don't generally, generally, make it my goal to make people dislike me. We want to be liked by others. We want other people to think well of us. And so it becomes easier and easier all of the time to distance ourselves from the moral teachings of Christianity that are becoming more and more unpopular in our day. In the end, though, that is nothing more than self-preservation. Jesus asks in one place, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? Or as St. James writes in his epistle, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world 
makes himself an enemy of God. So we must watch out for our flesh. We must, must watch out for the world. And lastly, the scriptures warn us against the one who stokes the, the disobedience that we find in ourselves and in the world around us. And that is, of course, Satan himself. Jesus tells us in John's gospel that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, killing our first parents with his lies in the garden. Peter later on describes the, the devil as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The devil certainly does attack us directly. We see the power of demonic possession in the New Testament, and it does persist in our world today, especially among those who take the spiritual world very seriously. And I think that's probably why we don't often see cases of demon possession in our part of the world today. I think, by and large, the West has rejected the concept of the devil. We just don't believe he exists. And that's why it's better for him to work in secret. I've mentioned this book from the pulpit before, but C.S. Lewis really does give us a good insight into this in his book, The Screwtape Letters, wherein he playfully depicts the work of demons trying to rob a man of his Christian faith. At one point, he says that the demons try to hide their existence from man so that they can more easily make us materialists and also skeptics. In a world that gives us the opportunity to order anything we want from Amazon.com and have it here in just two days, and a world that also doubts the existence of things that cannot be proven scientifically, I'd say we're pretty much right where Lewis said we would be. And so the devil's attacks on us here are often much more subtle. Luther speaks of the devil as the originator of all sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles. In fact, Jesus tells a whole parable about this, the parable of the sower. In that parable, the devil is depicted as the bird who comes in to steal the word of God away from us when we hear it so that it would not bear fruit among us. Now, I will say that I am just as guilty of this as anybody, that I don't engage as often with God's word as I should. But how often do we go several days in not even thinking about what God has said to us in his word? And now because of that, because we don't know the promises of God as well, Satan is more easily able to upset our consciences and rob us of the peace that God offers to us in his word. Even worse, when the devil is successful in keeping us out of the divine service, he robs us of the comfort of the absolution and the peace that is given in the very body and blood of Jesus, which then takes the promises that we hear in the scripture and, they, and then applies it directly to you, get, get, putting them into your ears and putting them into your mouth. And so as Jesus says, we ought to watch because our faith is in peril. The devil, the world, your own sinful flesh, none of these want you to have anything to do with God at all. The warning cry that we hear this morning is good for us because we do need to be aware of the very real dangers that we face. Jesus even warns us in another place that if these last days before his return were to drag on for far too long, 
the elect, those who had been chosen by God himself for salvation, would even fall away. Even St. Paul tells us that in the last days, we should expect a great apostasy. That is, a great falling away from the church as a marker of these last days. And so watch out. You are in danger. You do not know when the judge will come. Pray that God would come sooner and that he would rescue you. But, dear saints, there's also comfort to be had in this parable. We do see the five wise virgins who have prepared their lamps with extra oil. All ten virgins had lamps. That is, they all believed that he was coming. They believed the right things about the last day, but when the time came, when the cry arose, the five foolish virgins simply hit the snooze button. They did not know how urgent the situation was. This is why the Spirit has called and gathered you into the Holy Christian Church today. He seeks here to supply you with oil to keep your lamps burning, that you would be prepared through whatever the devil and the world and your own flesh would throw at you after you leave this place. But just as you can't expect to live off of one good meal a week, Neither should you try to keep your lamps burning with one fill-up per week. Open God's Word for just a few minutes every day. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Do these things with your family. Teach them to your children. Do them with yourself. In fact, today, as I've done before, I'm issuing you yet another Bible reading challenge for you and your family. We will start together as a parish on December the 1st, and I'd encourage all of you, as you gather together in your homes, to read just one chapter of St. Luke's Gospel together. By the time we get to Christmas Eve on December the 24th, you'll have made it all the way through the Gospel of Luke. Dear Saints, Jesus' parable is a warning. We do live in evil times. And we must watch out for the dangers that are around us. But for all of that, do not think of this parable just as a threat. This parable is told to us in mercy. Jesus doesn't sneak by the sleeping virgins. He wakes them up. He has bought them with his own blood, and he wants them to be with him. Even more so, he wants you to be with him. More than just on Sundays but in the life of the world to come. He loves you. You are more than just bridesmaid and groomsmen. He knows you as a bridegroom knows his bride. You are worth his very life. He died for you and he has risen for you. He has washed you with the pure water of the water and the word so that he might present you to himself as a spotless bride. He comes for you that he would bring you into the wedding feast in his kingdom, which shall have no end. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.